welcome to Zephyr Podcast Sessions with your host, me, Scott Howland. To find out more about Zephyr and how we're helping leading brands and businesses with customer journey orchestration, visit www.zephr.com. So hey, welcome to the Zephyr Sessions. We're joined today uh, by Nathaniel or Nate Zanu of uh, Go Browsy. Hey, uh, hope you're well. Uh, can you introduce yourself to a quick kind of overview of your role, what you're doing in your company? That would be great. Sure. So I'm Nate. I'm uh, the co-founder and the CEO of Browsy. Um, we started Browsy in 2016. Um, Browsy as a company started as a monetization company that figured out that ad inventory is going to be a bigger uh, pain for publishers than, than what they've been used to do in the last 20 years. And we built a dedicated AI to pretty much take care of all ad inventory value proposition or value chain uh, in real time at the most granular level. Happy to share more later on. Absolutely, no, that's cool. What, uh, that intrigues me a lot, um, Nate. Uh, what, what made you come up with this idea? How did you find this problem in the market? As a monetization company, we um, we offered an incremental revenue solution. So we were sitting on publishers' pages in mobile web, and we realized that um, as a, a company that holds the stake from both sides. Um, our CPMs weren't good enough for our publishers, which is understandable where the programmatic market is open for everybody. What was interesting back in 2016-17 was that our viewability was great. Um, and many of our publishers asked us to just serve their own ads into our placements. Um, you take that, you pair that with the fact that um, I think within a year, Moat, IES, and Double Verify, Verify all exited for over $2 billion. Um, you had a validation for viewability being a big deal coming forward and moving forward. Um, and we looked at our publishers. We asked them why they can't optimize viewability themselves. We understood the problem. We said, okay, the only chance for you to optimize viewability, to make sure that you get the highest viewability is by being granular, is by reacting and forecasting and predicting and optimizing in real time per user. Otherwise, you know, you, you're just hoping for the same result with the same solution. Uh, so that's the background. Nice, nice. Totally like it. Uh, it totally makes sense. No, I, I, I've worked previously, not not where I am now, but previously I worked a lot in, in the ad space looking at viewability. Uh, I think we had some mutual connections back then, but um, it's a really interesting space to be in. And obviously it's quite reliant on that monetization for publishers. Um, wh what kind of obviously we're in the we're in the, the the space of lockdown at the moment um are, are you seeing uh, kind of these cpms and uh, ad rates drop for publishers at the moment yeah yeah obviously uh we we're part of the industry we're seeing our publishers uh uh depending on the vertical obviously but um seeing cpms and feel going down um some industries are hurt more than others uh, an interesting part we're seeing is that no matter what the mechanism of buying inventory uh, on the buy side are the same. So um, good inventory is valuable uh, and is more valuable than bad inventory. Um, you know, IVT still impacts uh, the way they buy. Um, obviously, viewability, um, brand safety. We've seen all the issues with brand safety for news, uh, for news uh, outlets. Um, so the mechanism are the same. Uh, there's just less uh, buyers out there or the smaller budgets, um, but the way they buy has stayed exactly the same. 
and on that note obviously the way that that they buy and the way the demand is there can you just explain to the listeners how that kind of works in a in a simplified form sure uh, sure i know we, we've had a kind of brief conversation about this previously sure. um so let's separate that to direct and programmatic and under direct i'm going to put pmps as well although they're being i mean the media is being acquired programmatically it's still a more one-on-one relationship you're building with um with the buyers in the direct space, what we're seeing is that um, a lot, as, as mentioned before, a lot of buyers just stop campaigns. Some of them stop completely. Some of them stop in order to reassess their creative and approach and match it to the Corona time. Um, and the same goes for the PMPs. That's what we're seeing on our end. Uh, the mechanism has stayed the same. So um, if you're buying per performance, um, even on direct deal, if you're buying clicks, then viewability is still a big deal. Um, and, and obviously if you're a brand name, viewability is still something they're looking for. So a lot of uh, the publishers we're talking to are still focusing on delivering high viewability to at least fulfill those campaigns that are uh, out there. Uh, on the programmatic market, the way the mechanism works is exactly the same. There is a high level viewability of the domain. Um, some of the DSPs are capable of di- diving down to the placement level before they buy. Um, so that's also an impact today. Um, but all the rest of the mechanism are the same. So the, the, there, there's an assessment of uh, the invalid traffic on the side that will impact the beats. There is uh, the viewability and there's obviously the quantity of, 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 of um, supply that is offered out there. And that kind of breaks it down. It, what is interesting for me is that it has stayed the same and that mechanism has stayed the same, although we have seen, I, I, I guess, some some crazy uh, reductions in the market at the moment uh, do you have any stats around what the reduction is or what you've seen across maybe some of your customers in in that kind of space yeah so um one of our customers is the biggest uh health outlet in the u.s um think about the brand name for um you know health uh, news and prescription and so on those guys are having a good time um <laughs> other than that uh, I can honestly say that the rest are seeing anywhere between 15 to 40% drop in total RPMs. Um, it, they're adapting. So the CPMs now mid-month of April are slowly going up. There's a straight correlation, by the way, between um, uh, uh, the geo level itself. So uh, countries that reacted fast enough uh, to Corona, uh, quarantined their um, population early on uh, and so on and are forecasted to go back into, um, you know, into regular operation or semi-regular operation, you can see the CPM slowly ramping up. Uh, countries that are a little bit late to the game uh, or their prime ministers uh, decided to take some risks. Uh, <laughs> this is worldwide. Don't worry about it. Um, uh, are a little, bit, uh, a little bit late to the game. Um, this is what we're seeing. Um, another thing we're seeing is that buyers' uh, profiles have changed. Okay. Before you had... Um, more of the classic travel and sports and so on. Now there's more um, direct-to-consumer and e-commerce kind of advertisers. Um, Again, I'm thinking that, and again, it's really hard to uh, predict, but I'm thinking that starting mid-Q3, we'll see the travel industry coming back. Uh, they all, all they need to do is just figure out how you'll be able to travel. Yep. Same goes for sports events, same goes for everything else. Bear in mind that uh, not only the sports events from the classic leagues have stopped, you have the Olympics that stop and so on. So there's a lot of budget out there that we're 
um, kind of put aside for all those events that are just sitting tight. So my guess is that Q4 will be stronger than regular Q4s before, but um, but it's TBD. So taking that into into kind of context, we've seen that, uh, well, and I'm just going to go down that sport route, right? We've had the Olympics, which is being kind of canned at the moment, moved to next year, postponed, maybe not canned. Um, and uh, then we've got... Um, English Premier League, for example, that's been kind of postponed for the time being. We're not sure when that's going to continue. Have you got any sports customers, maybe not name names, but like who have, uh, we've seen this drop uh, in revenue. Are they still seeing kind of rates on their site? I, I don't know. Are they still seeing page views? Are they still seeing people reading these articles? And Absolutely. Uh, the uh, positive thing of the corona is that we're stuck at home and everybody's consuming more media. Um, if you are that regular Joe that is used to go to your soccer side every morning, you'll continue going to your soccer side every morning, uh, more than ever, by the way. Um, so a lot of our publishers are seeing a, 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 a strong increase in traffic. The, the, the concern of publishers is that they're making less money per page. View. So, so it, it kind of even evens up or maybe slowly the total revenue went down um but traffic wise engagement wise they're doing they're doing a great job in my opinion and also they're also adapting in content so as i mentioned you can create content about anything else uh that would be interesting so looking into the uh the kind of um we're seeing this subscription versus ad revenue, right? We, uh, we've we had some conversations about this. I was reading a blog last night that you posted um, on your um, Browsy website. And obviously it was looking at, uh, ab- uh, sorry, bringing in subscribers is going to help advertisers or it's going to bring in advertisers as well. Can you just explain that kind of thought process uh, in a little bit more detail? Sure. So um, I'm going to take you back in memory line. Okay. okay. Um, I'm, I'm 41. Um, I'm part of the generation that used to enjoy magazines and, you know, and, and so on. And the, and that mix was great, right? You used to pay for content, uh, used to know that it's going to be great content and you used to see ads and the ads were amazing as well, right? The combination of paid content and ads was great. And, um, and, and then obviously advertisers have an open space to create amazing ads and to really engage with the users and so on. And I think that with the open web, which is a fantastic thing as well, uh, we kind of lost track of that. We kind of lost track of combining, uh, and again, I'm staying on the high level. We can always dive into the impact of first party data on advertisement, but on the high level, the chase for ad revenue for some publishers, right? There's some publishers that it's, it, it obviously makes sense, but other publishers, the chase for ad revenue kind of hurt the ad experience and kind of hurt the, um, the flexibility that those publishers have. So going back into uh, subscription and ad revenue, I think, I think we are today in a great catalyst moment where you can actually combine those two together. Um, and I'm going to add also the first party cookie issue, you know, and the third party cookie issue, and you can, you know, couple everything together and actually create a better uh, publishing world, at least on the, you know, the paid side. Um, I, I don't think publishers will ever, will ever, and let's talk about T1 publishers, right? I'm, again, I'm not talking about the small ones, but I don't think publishers on T1 will ever be able to just fully rely on ads or fully rely on subscription. So our approach would be create a subscription, create wall gardens, or I wouldn't say wall gardens, create a paywall, um, 
build your strategy around how you communicate that paywall, when do you open it, when do you not, what are the strategies, but at the end of the day, those users are gonna interact with your content. And once they interact with your content, you can show them ads. You can show them less ads now, you can create a better ad experience, um, and you can create even ad products that can actually work. Um, and, and that's kind of the backbone of that article, how ad revenue can actually help subscription and how subscription can help ad revenue. And obviously that's something that I've been uh, looking at for a while. Obviously in my role, uh, it's quite interesting and uh, definitely going to read that. Um, if, if you are interested in that, go and check out the latest Browsy blog on their website uh, about subscriptions and um, and ad revenues. Um, that's really interesting. So actually, let's take this back to the ad inventory right side of things. Um, we've got... Um, I guess a few challenges and factors that come into play when you're looking at optimizing this ad inventory and the viewability. Can you just take us through those kind of steps and maybe a, a very simple overview of what the, um, I think it was four steps we looked at yesterday, four steps um, of of this um, this process. So uh, I think what I'm going to do is, with your permission, obviously, is I'm going to walk you through what we're seeing publishers doing today to solve ad inventory. Um, I think um, I, I think if you're a publisher and you're listening, um, some of the things you probably did, <laughs> some of the things you're planning on doing, some of the things you will never do. Um, and those things, we divide them into three main groups. Um, and, um, and those three main groups are anything around UI, UX optimization on one hand. The second group is everything as a publisher you can build internally. And the third groups are what we call more of business decisions you need to make in order to make a better ad inventory. Um, when it comes to the UX, the classic one is A-B testing ad layouts. If you wanna get into higher viewability without losing scale, um, and maybe you know what, I'll take a step back. The biggest concern publishers have when they reach ad inventory is how do I get the most viewable ad inventory without losing the scale of impressions I used to have and without upsetting my users. Um, and this is kind of like a love triangle between those three um, that requires a lot of fine tuning and optimization and so on. The problem is that that fine tuning for publishers is very expensive. Uh, it requires R&D teams and QA team and product team and editorial consent and, and add-ups, obviously, to make sure that everything is working. And the, the backbone of that is that they do it periodically, either periodically or ad hoc. And when they do that, the, the starting point on is always UX. So they A-B test ad layouts. They look how, what happened if they move a placement from right to left or up and down, playing with some. In the last few years, we're seeing a lot of what we call injection logic where they say, okay, um, let's count paragraph and put an ad and so on. They play around that to just see the impact on viewability. Um, another thing we're seeing a lot publishers are doing is adding sticky placements. Um, so um, in, in mobile it's kind of like last resort. Uh, usually it's a 300, a 320 by 50 in the bottom. Uh, in desktop, uh, we're seeing an experience, uh, and some publishers are taking it a little too far in my opinion, but this is a, it's very subjective. Uh, we're seeing uh, placement are staying with you as you scroll down. Sometimes they also refresh. Um, in, other in other places, we're actually uh, seeing publishers removing placements or removing low viewable uh, ad placement, mostly because 
uh, the demand side, uh, the programmatic demand side is uh, looking at the highest level, which is the main level. So removing the low viewable placement actually contributes to that. Um, and the last recourse, and usually it's, um, I think I, I told you that yesterday, it's when we get to an office of a publisher and there's whiteboards. Uh, and those whiteboards and wireframes that include site redesigns, um, it, it, usually it comes from our ads are not performing very well. If we're just moving them around, we'll probably need to redesign our pages. And that's the longest process. It takes, um, it takes a lot of resources and time from the publisher side and, and some, and even sometimes users don't even like it. Um, so that's, I think that's the last recourse when it comes to user experience or user interface of the site. Um, when it comes to, um, to um, uh, R&D decisions or tech optimization, as we like to call, the classic one is uh, optimizing the site speed. Um, and this, is, this has nothing to do with your ad inventory as a publisher. You need to make your site load faster um, in that kind of place um, AMP walked in and, and offered better results for publisher and so on, but this is an ongoing effort. Um, the, the basic setup or the basic go-to solution for optimizing viewability on a tech side is lazy loading. Um, lazy loading for the sake of our listeners is um, deciding, not loading all the ads as the page is loading, but the most common solution is just keeping those ads that are above the fold um, what we call eager loading. This is our dog. Happy with neighbors. As you can, uh, <laughs> as we can tell here, we're uh, we're recording in uh, during quarantine, yes. so we're all at home. <laughs> yes, yes, he's not happy. He's not getting out too much. Um, so going back to lazy loading, um, the classic setup is uh, whatever is above the fold. You eager load, um, which means you load it as the page is loading and you build some sort of a distance mechanism between those placements where you decide to load as you are about to get to a given ad placement. So for example, the classic one could be a number of uh, paragraphs before uh, and so on. Um, so that's lazy loading. Many, many, pub I, I hardly know any publishers that haven't tried that in the past uh, at some constellation. Um, they sometimes even publishers do that with their content. So they don't load the entire content. And that's a connection, by the way, between speed, site speed and lazy loading. Uh, the, the con of that move is 99.9% .9 of the time is a loss of scale. Um, the second you as a publisher decide to lazy load, you're pretty much relinquishing control of your revenue to your users. If your content is not interesting, if the user is scrolling very fast, if they're just looking for pictures and, and endless others, you know, um, kind of scenarios, um, you're losing scale because your ads are not going to open because your user passed through them very quickly and so on. Um, so that's the second part, as I said, usual suspect when it comes to optimization. The last one is we see uh, publishers try to refresh ads. Um, the reason they're refreshing ads is to create more, um, more scale and hopefully finding more viewable impressions. If they don't do that in view, they're pretty much reducing their viewability. If they do that in view, uh, whether they build something internally or they're using an external vendor, it creates more viewable impressions uh, out of the current inventory, which is, which is a pretty much a positive thing. Um, so those are the two kind of like, uh, I would say processes. And then the last part is the business decisions. And the business decisions is uh, pretty much the day-to-day -day operation of the ad ops team um, in, in, in their fight with their ad inventory. Um, so the most common here is the ad ops footwork. We see um, um, 
publishers or out of schema publishers just move campaigns from one viewable placement to another, especially when it comes to direct sales. Um, and it's just chasing down those viewable uh, placements. Um, in other places, they're playing with floors. Uh, it was very common before UPR. It's less common after UPR, the unified pricing rules. Uh, but that's also an option. Uh, another thing we've seen them doing is removing the men partners, especially on the header beating side, if they're very slow uh, to respond. And obviously, you know, it's blocking the page and they remove them together. Not very common, but it still happens. Um, and then you have, uh, again, another business decision is paying measurement tools to try to manually optimize um, their viewability. So Moat, IAS, Double Verify are solutions out there that um, publishers are paying just to track that their direct advertisers are getting the viewability they're supposed to get. Uh, they're also using those solutions maybe to use historic data and, and hopefully predict into the placement was the previous viewability. Um, a little challenging, but this is a different conversation. Um, Pre-corona, what we used to see a lot was unique formats. So pre-corona, when demand was stable, um, a lot of companies that have unique formats were able to go into the page um, and deliver more revenue and maybe more viewability. Um, it's less common today. Um, so all those three options or three high-level options are pretty much what publishers have been doing up until today, can do in the future, and so on. Um, and, and again, this is why we built, by the way, this is why we built browsing because all of them are manual. All of them are just not efficient. And that's, uh, that moves us quite nicely onto a little plug for Browsy. So Browsy is AI optimization for those three kind of key main groups there, the, the UI UX optimization, the, the kind of can build internally and also the business decisions. Is that right? Is right. That right. That's, that's a, that's a good uh, description. Um, the thing is this, very simple. I, I always like to put it as simple as possible. Um, if you're a publisher and there's an ad request coming out of your page, it's too late for you to make anything about, to do anything about it, right? The page is loading, you're issuing an ad request. And for that placement, for that user, it's going to be 50% viewability or 40% viewability, right? And what I ask publishers is what would you have done or would you be happy if you had an engine that is capable of, um, understanding that this given user, all he needs is either that ad placement to be loaded differently. You used to load it in lazy load, but that ad unit should have been eager loaded, for example, or just move that for that given user. And again, at the most granular level for that given user, just create the placement one block down. Okay. And that will give you a viewable impression. So that was the beginning of how we build Browsy. We said, okay, you're going to be as a publisher, you're going to have to be real time. If you want to solve viewability, you're going to have to be granular. Uh, the beauty with the thing with AB testing is you do your AB testing, you move the needle from 40 to 50% viewability, but that's done. Now you, there's users on your site. They're doing stuff in e-commerce. It's called personalization. Why not do that in ad layouts? Why not personalize the ad layouts? So what Browsy does is we um, sit between the content of the publisher and the ad placement themselves. We don't touch anything. You can keep your ad stack the same way it is. You can keep your DFP running. Everybody's happy. But we make in real time smart decisions for the publishers. So a decision can be around the optimization of the ad layouts. They can be around the prediction of the viewability. So again, if, if on a, you have an historic placement that has 50% viewability, you still have 
ad calls that will come out of, from that placement that will have 80, 90, and 100% viewability. You just don't see that as a publisher because you either use manually historic data, that, which is the summary of the viewability of that placement, or using other vendors that just will continue to tell you what used to be the historic data of that. Uh, we want to recalculate and want to find pockets of viewable impressions out of your low viewable placements. Those pockets enable you as a publisher to do pretty cool things, which are, for example, just send them to your direct campaigns, fulfill campaigns on time, change your floors, uh, serve a different ad unit. Uh, low viewability, don't even open a placement. It's going to be 10% viewability. Don't serve that. So we, we take it from the creation optimization to the prediction. And, and once we had a uh, kind of like loud bulb moment where we said, okay, if we're taking care of ad inventory, we can do everything that needs to be smart about ad inventory. We're also working on other components uh, around pricing and around um, uh, user session and so on. Everything that has to do with, um, you know, with, uh, with ad inventories where Brazi wants to be and, and just as the next level. Uh, we don't, we're, we know publishers are putting a lot of effort, but we understand that real time is the solution in a world that demands and buy publishers media in real time. So that's kind of what we do. Nice. So if want, someone wants to get hold of you, uh, ask any questions, how do they do that? Sure. Uh, go to www.gobrowsy.com. Um, we have a phenomenal team that will be happy to uh, help at any time. Um, or find us on LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook. Uh, or talk to you, I guess. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I can definitely put them in touch with you. <laughs> Absolutely, more than happy to do that. Thank you for your uh, overview there and your the the great information you just shared on the ad inventory and the kind of revenues around that and monetization. Um, a couple of side questions. Then um, I like to ask every guest I am uh, having on this podcast. Uh, first of all, if there was a uh, an upbeat song that you'd recommend for the listeners at this time, what would it be? Oh, wow. Um, so there's a, f I, I might be like too late to the show, right? Um, <laughs> there's a French DJ I really like called Kong. Okay. K-O-N-G. Um, I think he's doing a perfect combination of a lounge house kind of rhythm. I think he used to work with a, God, I keep forgetting that famous DJ, that famous French DJ. He used to be like, uh, he's under uh, school, um, started at the age of 18. Very good guy. Uh, I recommend his first disc, uh, okay. Kong, K-O-N-G. Yeah, definitely. Other than that, anything that has to do with uh, rhythm and blues, but you know, nice. that's a different conversation. I'll, um, uh, yeah, I know. I'll check out Kong uh, and uh, I'll make sure I add it to our uh, Zephyr Sessions playlist. Um, and secondly, <laughs> um, you're based. I know you, you mix between, I guess, Tel Aviv and New York, but um, let's go Tel Aviv, right? I'm in Tel Aviv with you. We're going for a beverage and uh, going for a, a drink uh, at one of the bars. What what would be your drink of choice? Oh, I'm old school. Um, first of all, we have really good bars in Tel Aviv. If, we, if you have listeners that have been, I'm sure they're going <laughs> to confirm that. Um, I'll probably be a gin and tonic. Um, if it's summer, it's probably going to be a Campari orange or something. But gin and tonic is my go-to drink. Gin and tonic on me when I'm next in Tel Aviv. Look, appreciate that. Um, you got it. Nate. Absolute pleasure <laughs> having you on the Zephyr Sessions today. Thank you very much for your time. Same here, and, mate. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll catch up very, very soon. You got it. Cheers. Have a good one. Cheers, guys. Thank you.